Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic or on-premise and on-location, mostly when it's not a pandemic. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single concept. In this episode, we're discussing architectural choices and frankly, the fundamental architectural choice, which is when do you decide that it's time to just throw everything out and start from scratch? versus paying attention to how things have been done in the past. Before we begin, let's meet who's on the panel today. So my name is uh, Wolfgang Stief. I'm from Germany. I call myself a technology scout. Uh, you can find me at Speicherstief on Twitter. Hi, my name is David Klee. I am the founder of Heraflux Technologies and SQL Librium Education. You can find me on Twitter at, at kleegeek.com or at kleegeek. I'm Dan Frith from Brisbane, Australia. You can find me on Twitter at penguinpunk. I'm Ralph Ronzio, the technical director of the digital experience team at Pure Storage, and you can find me on Twitter at Love Your Storage. I do love your storage, uh, but this, I uh, should note, is not a sponsored episode or anything. This actually came from a conversation that we had after Storage Field Day when we were talking to Ralph about that sort of fundamental question. You know, um, there is certainly a time when it really pays to just forget all the things we think we know about stuff generally, or IT architecture specifically, and give it a fresh look. But frankly, there's also a time when people take that in the wrong direction and they don't learn the lessons of history and they just repeat them. So Ralph, I'm gonna throw it to you first since you were the one who really kind of brought up this provocative topic. Um, architecturally speaking, I don't know, make the case one way or the other. Is it time to throw things out? Well, I think, I think sometimes it is, right? I mean, when I think about uh, the story, if I'm going to talk about storage for a second, the storage industry as a whole, we did a lot of things a certain way for a really long period of time, but no one was really changing it. And I don't know if it was just, it was because we needed things to be backwards compatible, something you mentioned off air, or is it because um, we just didn't want to change? It was, hey, I don't really want to have to take my whole user base and teach them something new. When you're a newer company or a startup, you kind of have the luxury of sort of just saying, look, I'm going to, I need something to differentiate myself. And maybe that means I'm going to radically think differently about whatever this problem is to come up with some new way to do it. And you're going to have backlash to that no matter what. But it, it, you know, sometimes you get lucky and you can get enough people rallied behind this idea. And if it actually works, that's even better. So yeah, sometimes I think you can do it and, and change the world with it. And I think sometimes, um, you know, you have to, you have to gain the hearts and minds and that's not an easy thing to do sometimes. I mean, as the curmudgeon DBA of the group, I'm going to give the standard DBA answer of it depends. You know, I'm all for getting rid of a lot of preconceived notions, a lot of things that have, quote, always been done this way. But what I don't want to throw out is the lessons learned from all the things that people have done wrong. I'd love to be able to take the things that people have done right, take the lessons learned from all the stuff that has been done wrong, and then adapt, rebuild, reconstruct, re-engineer, and do it better. You know, because again, you're going to do it again in 10 years anyway, if you're doing things properly. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the big problem is sometimes that we, we, in the industry, we look for change just for change's sake. And in doing so, we end up reinventing things like public transport to be exactly the same as public transport was. And ultimately, we just come up with a, a cool company and a little bit of shareholder value, but not really any value for the for the consumer. So I, I think there's definitely a place where we can throw things out, but I don't know that we have to do it 
as relentlessly as we we seem to be doing, particularly in the tech industry. There is also, you know, processes change or get modernized or um, storage or, or um, technology gets new and has new possibilities. So why stick with the old stuff when you can have uh, some new new things which makes things better, of course, as we saw today already in uh, the pure presentation. So all this, um, for example, AI ops will help for certain things. Um, you can have less people in your IT department, for example, because uh, some things we all probably set at one time and wrote some creepy shell scripts to do some strange stuff with our things. And lots of this today is just gone. So I think there's also a change from the, the very um, manufacturer manual I, way we do IT uh, towards some more fabrication and automated things. And so you, you need to throw things out to have some uh, space for new things. Exactly. You need to, yeah, you need to throw things out in order to make progress sometimes. And certainly there is progress. I, I was reminded when Ralph was talking about this uh, a few years back, uh, you know, you mentioned like, you know, the spreadsheet thing, you know, the, the, and that's it. for storage people that everybody knows the metaphor of the spreadsheet, which is how we used to manage storage. And, and Wolfgang is laughing because yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I wrote an, a blog post uh, actually 12 years ago saying how I stopped worrying and learned to love storage automation. And it was essentially the same thing that Ralph said, which is, you know, you, 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 know, you get automatic tiering, you get, uh, you know, all these automated data placement models, all these things, eventually you have to throw out the spreadsheet. And I think the time was ripe to throw out the spreadsheet. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we also heard the anecdote of, well, we've had all sorts of companies say that we're going to throw out spreadsheets now. And frankly, a lot of them didn't deliver on that promise. So, you know, you can't just throw it out willy nilly. You have to throw it out when you're ready, right? Well, and we talked about this on our storage field day is you change something and then you have to build trust with your customer, whatever the product is that that you can do what you say you're going to do and that this is a this is something they should they should do and you know david's i didn't know david was a dba by the way up until now so that's interesting because the spreadsheet or that thing that i had allowed me to gain trust with the dba to say to him yeah look at you have all this performance capability and so he he they gave me the thumb up thumbs up and we felt good about that whether we knew what the growth trajectory was of the loan application or whatever it was that we were running the, the database on so that when you change things radically you do have to gain trust and that that physical thing that i could point to on the wall which looked like a poster made it allowed me to gain trust with that person that was so important and critical for for me to continue doing my job and for him to feel comfortable that his database would continue to run the proper way so yeah that's that's the i this is an interesting conversation because you change things and you do the trust factor can break down really quick because there's been a lot of companies that come out with really cool radical ideas but uh, the companies that invested in them, the idea maybe didn't pan out. So there is a risk if you want to adopt something that's, you know, on that bleeding edge. It's tough. I mean, you know, from a DBA perspective, I have to make sure that the system is highly available and running all the time because these are things like life support systems, financial trading systems. So positive change is great, but I can't regress. You know, I make a joke with a lot of people that it's not just like, changing a tire on a moving car while you're on the Autobahn. It's kind of like changing cars while you're on the Autobahn. It's tough. 
it's a really tough balancing act to make sure that you have positive momentum, positive change, but that you don't break anything in the process. So when I started in IT, this was in the late 90s, and it was just the time when um, storage and network science came into the IT departments. And I had in the beginning lots of discussions with database people because with SAN, they didn't know on which disk their table spaces is rotating. And this was very hard for them to understand, just rely on this SAN because it's, uh, I, I will give you the performance you need, just rely on it. And, and it was a very, quite a long process over several years until they accepted, okay, I know I can rely on this uh, system. I can rely on the storage, on, on the people behind it and I get the performance I need to. And everybody who's seen Tenet knows that you absolutely can change cars on the Autobahn at speed. I mean, I, I've, <laughs> they did it a few times in that movie. So, you know, we're good. Um, no, seriously, I, I, it's, it's, gotta be, it's gotta be a big challenge. And, and, and yet, you know, you mentioned some of the things that are, that are kind of holding us back. And, um, and yet, like we live in this DevOps time when it seems like there absolutely is a desire in IT, on the other side of IT, the uh, applications and developer side, to just be done with infrastructure entirely. And this strange willing suspension of disbelief when confronted with a generic architecture that can do everything for everyone in any way. And, and the answer, instead of being, no, I'm not gonna trust that, I need to know what desk my, that my database is on, the answer nowadays seems to be, yup, okay, I'll just use the thing and make my thing run on the thing. Is this right? Uh, well, I mean, my, my, my younger brother, he's, he's an entrepreneur. He, he starts lots of these smaller companies. He has, he finally has one that's been really successful. And uh, he was talking to me about, Hey, when I start my business, I need infrastructure. I need servers. I need networking. I need all this stuff. And when I started talking to him about the cost involved in that, he, he had that exact, he goes, I don't, that's crazy. Like I can't afford all, any of this stuff. And so at the time I was like, well, I guess you could just go to the cloud. And he's like, Oh yeah, why don't why would I not do that? But it was interesting because he started asking me questions about the physical things like the networking switch and what capability it had or the server and what capability it had. And he goes, "I still have to worry about that when it's in the cloud, right?" I was like, "Well, yeah, but you can just kind of expand it. <laughs> so if you need more, you just kind of move the slider and there's more there. And he goes, oh, okay. But for him, it, he was a young startup, doesn't have a lot of money. He needs to invest in infrastructure. So uh, for him, and he's also a lot younger than me. So he like, the cloud is just natural to him. It's just, oh yeah. He doesn't even think about what is in a data center somewhere backing the cloud. He just knows that he pushes the slider and more stuff will be there magically. So... I think that's almost the best example of, of how you actually bring the uh, the value of the outcome to the customer, right? So the cloud makes sense to people because they can just move that slider around. But to the average guy who's managing that spreadsheet full of LUNs, that all he, he or she knows about is that spreadsheet of LUNs, and that's all they do on a day-to-day -day basis. And and it's, I, you know, in my career, people have said, oh, you can do something more valuable with the business. You can do blah, or you can do this. And so you've actually realized what it is you can do beyond manage that spreadsheet full of lines. I think that's a, you know, that's a bit of a harder conversation to have around, you know, out with the old and in with the new, because it is change and change is really hard when you don't know what that change means for you, you know, what the impact will be. 
And then, so the thing, again, that precipitated this discussion was the presentations at Storage Field Day. And it seems like there's kind of uh, two fundamental uh, belief systems that are running in different directions. There's the, the, it's always better to keep your eye ahead group. And then there's the, it's always better to keep your eye behind group. I don't know if that's Maybe I'm probably pigeonholing somebody, but you know that's what we do. Um, I, I heard somebody once describe it as um, outside in versus inside out cloud. In other words, do you take the outside architecture of cloud and like the, the hyperscalers and how things are doing and try to bring that into the data center, or do you take what's going on inside the data center and bring that out to the cloud? And, and when somebody said that to me, it really, it really resonated with me because I started thinking, you know, that really explains a lot of the, the architectural decisions that are being made. And so you end up with companies that are developing systems and, and there's a gray area because sometimes you can run the old school stuff on the new school infrastructure and so on. But it just seems like when it comes to infrastructure, it's generally one or the other. Like, is this hyperscaler architecture that we're trying to bring to the enterprise or is this old school stuff that we're trying to bring to the cloud? Why can't you do both? I mean, the, my, my philosophy is study history and study the, the current so you can project the future. Why can't you do both and use the best of everything? Take the lessons learned, take the things that have worked historically, get rid of the stuff that doesn't work, take the current developments of today and then look at tomorrow. But then again, I'm not speaking as a DBA when I say that. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like when I entered IT that, you know, the, not that mainframes aren't gone, they still exist. But but like to me, what I thought of, of a mainframe, I, I was like, wow, this is a really big thing with a lot of resources that you can share. And then later on down the road, when the concept of this idea of a server could just be this, a, a bunch of small servers virtualized on a physical asset, I was like, you know, I, I didn't know much about the mainframe world because that's not how I grew up in IT. But I was like, this just seems like, maybe a more enhanced open way of doing what we were doing before. So it's kind of interesting to see the technology evolve into a certain way, but, but, but we're always, I think that's a good example of the don't throw it all away. Cause there were some really interesting things that the mainframe did that now we can do in the open systems world. So we were taking all those best pieces and leveraging them. Well, yeah, mainframes are just you know, big shared machines. Virtualization is just mainframes with commodity equipment. Take a look at the cloud, add that plus really good automation on top of it. So one of the things that David mentioned, I think that that really is the key to cracking this nut of time to throw out all the old ideas and bring in some new ideas is learning the lessons of the past. And I, I think that um, again and again, when I, when I hear about cloud architecture, especially, um, it seems like, you know, the focus is on only a couple of the dimensions. There's the sort of the ease of use dimension, there's the cost dimension, and sometimes somebody will bring in performance. But my fear is that people aren't considering, you know, high availability and redundancy and reliability and all those kind of things that we've been trying to build into enterprise systems for years. I don't hear those things talked about a lot. And frankly, I don't hear a lot of people going to talk to that mainframe guy and saying, hey, what lessons did you learn in the last 50 years that we should be applying to these modern applications? 
Yeah, it, it feels an awful lot like sometimes when I, when I look at some of these architectures that get I get tossed around, they've never had to, you know, recover a, a rather large system from from nothing or from a, a terrible disaster. And they've sort of said, oh, I've got a copy here and I've got a copy there, so I should be right. And I think I think what we see, particularly in modern data protection systems, is that that approach that this is sort of MVP, this is just enough is good enough and we'll be okay. But it's it's only going to be when you've really had a bad day with with the system or data or some kind of application that you're going to truly understand that some of those those old graybeards you know talking about resilience they're actually there's a there's a fair bit to be learned from from that approach at least my experience a lot of young people who, who just have some standpoint like um, i know everything about the world and nobody can tell me anything so i will just go ahead and do stuff so they don't listen to to the old people and uh, although we could explain a lot of things and, and could tell them a lot of things so be careful here be careful there but they just uh, go away and do their thing actually i was going to say something very similar to what wolfgang said is is that uh, and 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 i'm not i don't i don't want to have my pure storage hat on for this because but i have spent my whole career in storage but it was interesting you know you you'd, you'd always try to sell disaster recovery solutions but And, and the customers that had a disaster were like, oh, of course, like, of course I would do that. That would be crazy if I didn't do that. If I need redundancy, my, that's my core app. If that was down, there'd be millions of dollars lost every minute or whatever, every hour. And, uh, but the one, it was really hard to, to get a customer or, or anyone to accept this idea that they had to buy two of anything or whatever it was, or have a cloud location as a, as a backup. Um, because they hadn't experienced that disaster yet. So, um, but, but, but I can totally see where, like, like I go back to my, my brother who, who is using the cloud today, he just kind of assumes that's all taken care of for him. He's like, oh yeah, they replicate between their own cloud. So I'm good. It's like, well, I, I don't know. You, you should probably look into that maybe because <laughs> you might, you might be surprised that they're in your contract. It might say that, yeah, if it's unavailable, it'll be available again at some point. And here's your, here's your recovery point objective or recovery time objective. So Uh, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point, but that is a legacy way of thinking that is absolutely necessary. You need DR and you need high availability. Yeah. And then you look at, again, some of the presentations we saw, um, one of the things that we saw, for example, um, at a previous field day event with, with Dell EMC was the difference between like their PowerMax and their power store. And on the PowerMax presentation, They spent a lot of time talking about predictable performance and uniform performance and how, you know, you kind of get what you expect every single time. And I'm like, boy, you know, you don't hear that kind of talk from cloud storage vendors, right? You don't hear that kind of talk from people who don't have a background in the mainframe. But at the same time, what I hear is a lot of people look at that stuff and they're like, do I really need that? I mean, if it's just really freaking fast, who cares if it's predictably fast? I mean, do I, do I really need that? Or people like me look at those kind of marketing statements and I say, shouldn't it do that already? Why is this a concern? Aren't you better than that? Yeah, I mean, that was one of, the, and, and I'll just say again, that was one of the pitches for Intel with Optane too, is that they're saying that it's predictable performance as much as it is um, high performance. Well, I think there was a period of time where we were trying to use, because something that was fast cost a lot of money, we were trying to use a little bit of the thing that would speed up workloads, to whatever it was on a server, you know, this, so that we could 
gain the benefit, but we were kind of hedging our bets that they wouldn't need it all at the same time. And so that was kind of scary, I think, at that time. So it, it's interesting because when our, our the company I work for was founded on flash technology, so it was all it was this idea that well it has to be fast, but there's still things in that chain that were legacy that could make it slow if someone was doing too much at one time. So I, I think it's it's that's an interesting it's an interesting conversation of I think predictable performance is super important because the opposite is is all right, it might be fast. <laughs> it might, it, you might get the data when you need it. And I, I just think in this day and age with data everywhere, even though we all know that not all data is critical, everyone thinks their data is critical, unfortunately. <laughs> so. Well, and that brings me back to the last episode of, the, of this podcast, David, when we were talking about uh, bottlenecks, right? And we're saying basically nowadays we have plenty of everything, right? Oh, you need all the capacity? Sure. You need an exabyte, no problem. Like, give me your credit card. You can have that. Oh, no, no. You need super unbelievable low latency and incredible performance. Yeah, no problem. We got that too. You know, and, and we never had that. That's, you're right, Ralph. I mean, that was like, we were always like trying to like, like, like spoon out just a little bit of the good stuff. But now you can have all the good stuff you can pay for. Yeah, I mean, now, think about all the technologies people used to put, you know, I don't even know if they still, do they still sell like acceleration cards for servers? for databases and things like that. Do those still exist? In theory, yeah, but nobody buys them. Nobody needs them anymore. Yeah, because I remember that was like a huge thing for a while. It was like, oh, you should get a, you know, this PCI card to put inside your database. Just keep it in that. And it's like, well, but what happens if that thing dies? Eh, you're good. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, but it's, it's, you've got so much of it now. Now it's, okay, do we need all of this? Can we tier this? Can we take, you know, like from today, you know, can we take data older than a year? And if it's not used, can we archive it? Can we get it near line? You know, it's, 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 it's this pendulum of IT concepts and thought. It's, it's fascinating to watch. Well, I think some of that's because we've changed the operating model as well. And we've gone to the as a service kind of the all you can eat. And now, you know, in the, the markets I operate in, all my customers are saying, well, I've had all I can eat. And I've, I've actually eaten too much and I need to, I need to go on a diet now. So how do I reduce my spend? So how do I reduce my performance? You know, we start to have these conversations around what, what is actually good enough for us now, because we actually, we went and got the really fast storage and the really fast network. And you know what, we, we, we probably don't really need that. So it's time for, you know, to tighten the belt a bit. So how do we, how do we make that work for us? And that's, that's kind of interesting as well. Yeah, the cost control behind all of this, I think, is driving a lot of this, especially with, you know, cloud, which is buy what you want, not necessarily what you need. And they're happy to sell it to you. But now people are looking at the, the monthly spend and just freaking out. Now we got to dial this back. I almost feel like you could you could make a connection between the services being so easy to like the other day I was talking to my wife and I go, I was just looking at all the subscriptions we have to all sorts of things, whether it be streaming TVs. I was like, we probably spend half of our cable bill in services that I don't need. Maybe we could get these on the other. It was, it's nuts. It's actually nuts, but the same thing happens. And it's only because it's super easy and accessible that it happens. It, it's sort of like, uh, is it the gremlins you add water and they, at, when, when do they multiply? It's water, right? It's like it's like putting water on gremlins. <laughs> it's after midnight. I can't remember. Whatever. It's been a long time. It's an '80s movie. It's been a while. So, so let me get back to the the core here. Do you guys? I mean, 
are you going to make the case that it's time to just throw out all of our old assumptions? Um, you know, you, you were giving us the example, Ralph, of basically um, what if, you know, you, you, you have somebody who doesn't know about storage and you ask that person what they would do with storage and then they come in and they say, well, I wouldn't do it this way. I would do it some other totally different way. Is it time to do that or should we uh, have a more nuanced approach toward this? I, I think it's always time to do this when it's the right time to do it. You know, I, I've got a manufacturing ERP system that's database driven that we work with. No exaggeration. It's as if they bought a Model A in the 1920s and then the 30s hit. They're like, I want a better windshield. 1940s hit. I'm tired of breaking wooden wheels. So I'm going with steel wheels and air conditioning and a turbo. But the frame of it's still a Model A. This thing is in motion. It's time in this scenario to drop all the old assumptions, take the lessons learned and start over. But they're not, but they need to. But I would say uh, before you throw out old things, do a review about it. So, because maybe you want to keep certain parts out of the old one just for, because they are um, shown they are stable or reliant, whatever. So, always do a review before. So I'm going to have a surprising answer for this because I feel like you can do that if you develop, a, and I think you'll see this in a lot of different platforms. If you can develop a platform that you can go from one to the other, and I know that this is going to sound very pure storage-ish, but I, I don't want it to because I feel like there are other examples you can use outside of storage. If someone builds something that you can non-disruptively get from the, the old one to the new one, and and no one knows the difference, that's the most powerful position to be in. And I remember when you used to buy a smartphone, it was like no one would ever want to upgrade it because you're like, oh, crap, I got to copy my contacts over and all this stuff that and, and you're going to ultimately lose something. But then they, 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 then iCloud came out and it was like, or whatever Google uses to, they probably use Google drive. They, they just sync everything. And, and, and I, my phone is literally a new phone and I have all these new capabilities and a better camera and, and all these things. So I think it's, can you throw things out, but the underlying, you know, the, the, it doesn't look different to me. I'm still getting all these benefits without disrupting my life. I think that's, that, I, that's a hard goal to reach, but that's, I think, where technology needs to be. It needs to be in a place where you can constantly evolve it without throwing everything away. That was the yeah, key if, word you just used, disruption. I don't want disruption, but I'd want it, I want advancement. Yeah, you, you want to be able to take all the functionality you had from the, the old thing, port that across the new thing almost, and, and maintain that, and then get all the new bells and whistles and i guess so that's but that to wolfgang's point that's important to to do that review of what you actually got with the old thing because i think sometimes we get so caught up in whatever the new thing is we forget why we had the old thing in the first place and then we start to make you know these inadvertent compromises almost in some of these architectural decisions of whatever we, we're going for whether it's a, a fridge with an ice maker or at the internet on it or something or you know silly things like that and uh, i think there's it's sometimes really important just to stop and think, well, what do I actually, what do I actually need this thing for? What's it doing for me? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that that, to me, that's where it kind of comes down to. And I don't want to be the old guy yelling at clouds, but, um, you know, I think that we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions when we're trying to innovate. Um, the first question I think is what are the real lessons that we can learn from the past? 
you know, what, what can we truly learn? Not, not sort of like how things have always been done, but why did things evolve this way? Why did things go this way? Why do we do the, these things this way? And, you know, why do we, and what do we need to think about? You know, another thing I think that we need to look at is, you know, what are we going to use this thing for? What's the purpose? You know, does this make sense? Are we doing this because it's new? Or are we doing this because it's sensible? And then the final thing we need to do is to, frankly, to the point that uh, kicked this whole discussion off from Ralph, I think the final thing we need to do is we need to ask ourselves, can we do this a better way, despite the way that we've always done things? Because quite frankly, too many times we get stuck doing things, you know, architecturally the same way that we've always done it, because that's how we've always done it. And maybe it does take a fresh perspective to come in and say, you know what? It doesn't make any sense to have a dual controller scale up storage array, or it doesn't make any sense to keep trying to make disks go faster or to, you know, make little tweaks to RAID or whatever it is. We need something totally different. And when that day comes, we have to be ready for it. So thank you guys for joining us on this discussion. This is always a lot of fun. It's, uh, it was wide ranging and, and amusing and I appreciate you all joining us. Uh, before we go, I do wanna ask one last thing to each of you, which is uh, where can we connect with you and continue the conversation? So I'm gonna start with Ralph. Uh, tell us, is there something you've done recently or you, anything that you wanna to pitch about where we can connect with you? Sure. Yeah, I have a playlist on the um, Pure Storage YouTube channel called Digital Bytes, and it's um, it's actually all about it's really all about Pure One, uh, but it, but it's also a lot about as a service and all these new features and functions that are coming to to just technology in general. So it's it's not just just Pure. I mention all sorts of different things as well. So that's a great place. And then I'm on Twitter at love your storage. And you made me think of a topic that would be really cool for this conversation, but obviously we can't right now is FPGA technology is a really cool, I think, if you haven't talked about it on the podcast before, that could be a cool way, because that's kind of a way to still have the past, but you know, you because you can recreate it in these chips, it's pretty neat. So anyways, I'll, I'll geek out if I keep going. So I'll totally, that's it. totally. <laughs> it, it is, it is neat stuff that we've talked about. Um, uh, Dan, uh, how about you? Where can we connect with you? Uh, you can find me probably easiest at my blog, penguinpunk.net slash blog. Um, I write about all kinds of data center things, complain about capital E enterprise, uh, occasionally shout at the NBA for their lack of control of their players' uniform code. Um, so that's the best place to find me there. And on Twitter, at penguinpunk. And David? Cool. You can find me on Twitter at, at Kleegeek and my home blog at davidklee.net. And I actually just recently put out a big blog post about how to detect if your database storage engine is actually the primary bottleneck to storage and how to spread out your big databases to make better use of the infrastructure underneath. And Wolfgang? So I write for datadisrupted.de, data-disrupted.de. Um, where together with my wife, we are writing about enterprise IT news, mostly in the uh, storage and uh, networking, security, even cloud uh, field. And we target a German speaking audience. So if you like to read uh, or listen to German Gidoza podcast, go to the disrupted.de and you find me on Twitter at uh, Speicherstief and even on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, and honestly, the, the stuff that they write is good enough that Google Translate is your friend. It's, uh, it's worth reading there too. So as for me, uh, you'll find me on the Gestalt IT Rundown uh, pretty much every Tuesday. 
And of course, uh, the Utilizing AI podcast, which is coming back for a third season in September. And uh, I would love to uh, catch you on the Twitters. Use at S. Foskett to find me. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, please do uh, subscribe, rate, and review You know the magic words for podcasts. Uh, it really does help. This podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast, and we'll see you next time.